Hey, hey, everybody, what's up? Welcome to another edition of A Pow with Pops coming to you from Gainesville, Florida. I appreciate you all coming in and checking out the show, listening in, and uh, listening to uh, a lot of the sh uh, interviews that I have. I appreciate all the time you all uh, spend listening to the show. Um, thank you for the past five years of everything that has, it, the show has grown. Thank you, everybody out there that has taking the time to do that um and uh today i'm lucky enough to have another a good another interview that i'd never think i would have um but luckily pestering him enough and he said yes so um but uh today i've got uh sean meadows with me how are you doing today sir i'm doing just fine thank you very much yes thank yeah. you for having me nice I, to talk to you yeah yeah of course um as i was saying before uh we got on uh, last week I was in DC. Um, unfortunately, I missed uh, Jawbox for a f by a few days. Um, they're, they're, they've gotten back together and are doing a lot of stuff, and they're actually coming down here to uh, Gainesville in October to play the big music fest that they have every year here. So, uh, oh, cool! Yeah, it's been pretty interesting because a lot of the bands that I've been talking to are people that are like are still doing it, and they're um, even twenty odd years later you know um still getting out there still uh playing music and uh still able to do it and uh still able to have fans as which which i always knew looking back on these bands like of course you get all of these bands that you all created at this time period when you created them were bands that uh it's pretty much what everybody's trying to do now it's almost cyclical as you could tell as we, you know we've gotten older music is kind of like it kind of repeats itself in a way yeah, I can see that. I think it always did, likely, you know. It certainly <clears throat> works in cycles. Must so it makes sense that now people are dialed into the fact stuff drifts yeah. away and comes back. Yeah, yeah. It's just like a normal, organic process for music. So, um, I guess I'm going to start at the beginning. So, where originally are you from? I'm from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Okay. And that's where I was born and grew up. It was kind of a collapsed steel town in the 70s. Yes, sir. And early 80s, it's like a mini Pittsburgh with the river running through here. Yeah, yeah. And uh, in the history of Chattanooga, there, everyone remembers it's a famous moment. I don't know the year, 1960-something. Walter Cronkite on the nightly news says Chattanooga is the, is the dirtiest city in America, worse oh, wow. than Los Angeles. And the way that the, the steel... Foundries used to work here, and the mountains and the river, the pollution would just go straight up and come right back down. That's right. So that that's a, a critical part of the identity of Chattanooga. Since since then, they've they've changed it around. Super uh, free electric shuttles. Most oh, wow. of that industry is gone. Right, right. It's, it's a pretty pretty hippie green place to live now. So when when you uh, were growing up, how long did you live there? Like, did you live there through high school or? I did. I lived here through high school, and then I went a couple years to university, and I had started playing music in college, in high school, but touring at the end of high school, early in throughout college, and so getting around, playing music, and seeing parts of the country, other places I knew as soon as I could get out of here, I would. Right. So I, I, I moved to the East Coast when I was like just turned about the tw end of 21 when okay. I was 22. Oh, wow. 
So, um, so living in that kind of environment growing up, um, what was the music scene like for you in that town at that time period? Like, what was that scene like? What, like, when you were deciding to become a musician in high school and stuff, what was it? What, what music grabbed you, and what made you decide to play the type of music that you ended up playing? Like, what was the the emphasis or the 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 push for that? This is awesome, but I didn't think we'd be talking about this. This is totally fun. You know, I was like early mid '80s and completely, you know, a wild child in punk rock music, hardcore music, new wave music, just the weirdest anything you could get. The weirder, the better. Awesome. I was com- completely wanting to explore music that basically was shocking or revolutionary or just like as freaky as you could get right and uh, this this scene was it was extremely small but it was like it it was not the ages were all throughout teens and early adulthood right there was like a, a crossover with like a gay dance scene yep. there were like skateboarders then there was just like you know your metal heads that who were had punk rock mildly on their radar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was kind of like a small motley scene, you know, yeah, which yeah. was thinking back on it, it, you know, it was really beautiful. A lot of those people crashed and burned, and a lot of those people went on to do things creatively or become professionals. It's just like all walks of life in there, you know. Yeah, the small small scene, and ultimately, music was everyone's just like searching for something else you know besides like reagan era corporate society you know yeah and and music was what everyone gravitated to and and brought a lot of different stuff too so that scene was beautiful in retrospect and and actually as i've you know worked all over europe and spent many years in new york city like the little uh rural small town freak scene that i came from continued to inform everything I did or was involved in in some way so it, it was pretty important to me and was really beautiful I don't know if I did a good job of describing what it was like no no that was uh, that was probably one of the best explanations I've gotten so far from that question um, yeah this is like I said this is a very artist I, I tried to kind of delve deep into why because I know why because I mean I'm originally was born in New Hampshire but I from the age of Four on, I was raised in Sarasota, Florida. So very, very southern town. Everyone in my family wears like cowboy boots, and you know they wear Wranglers and Durangos and have dualies, you know, and they listen to country mm-hmm. music. And uh, we had a small punk scene in my high school. I graduated in '90. It was a high school of 1,500 students, but there was like seven punk rock kids in the school. So it was yeah, like, yeah. It was like it was like that thing. There wasn't much of us, so the only thing we had was outside of that school thing. So, like you said, we were lucky enough to have the weirdos. Like all the weirdos hung out together. It was kind of like that idea of the movie Suburbia, the totally rejected. You know, whatever society rejected, those people found each other and found uh, solace, found family, and found comfort in one another in such a way. And I think that's what creative and artistic people always seem to do. I mean that movie is kind of a cliche, and it, there's this, you know a certain thing people can relate to that seems like a formula. But in my experience, what you just described was what it was like. You know, I mean, we there was a small collective of t- 
total freaks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they, yeah. And, you know, they created, we created a type of community that uh, you would call a family, you know? Okay. Total, absolutely, man. Yeah, yeah. So do you think that town, the way that you grew up, had a, um, a really strong um, influence on how you thought politically and how it came out musically? Yeah, totally. In some in some way, as I said, as I've gotten more distance from my youth, I kind of see how it informed everything in a way. You know, I mean, there were there were some really good like 70s musicians in here who then dabbled into all kinds of rock and roll and then were even a little older playing in bands, you know, doing punk rock later. Right. That you know, so there was this continuity of music. It wasn't all youth, you know, it was like really the age stuff was all over the place. And so there were older guys who who kind of informed the musical scene. For instance, the guitar I still play today, there was an old hippie who had a record store. And one of my best friends ran the record store for him because he was always like at the bar or hanging out. <laughs> right. He would just not not sitting in the record store. But this <laughs> old character, man, he stocked his whole, all the vinyl, all all the imports from the UK, all Where's the punk rock stuff. He, he had it all in there because right. because he had all that stuff. And my friend ran the record store. We listened to, you know, that's where I hung out. We yeah. listened to every record in the record store. Wow. But, you know, but be, and so we could kind of like find the cross references of like a vitality between places. You know, it's like at the time I was discovering Joy Division and The Damned, we were also... Mm playing the MC5 records because right. that shit was, you know, a few rows over and clearly on the hi-fi sounded just as dangerous. Exactly. You know? Yeah. So, and so without that older hippie guy, we called him Melonhead. That was his name, Melonhead. Awesome. And I, I, I haven't seen him in years. I wonder how he's doing. <laughs> he's still around someplace. But Melonhead's records was like, college for underground music awesome. so by the time i was in the 10th grade i mean it's like i pr had a pretty encyclopedic encyclopedic understanding of like what had happened so far at least that was available on vinyl you know? right so when and so that 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 was my small town and that is yeah. like you know I, I never stopped sort of like using that information totally. in that way so when did, what's the very first band you started? I'm sorry. What's the very first band you ended up starting then? Like what? What was the the you know what 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 got it all? What got the ball rolling for you as a musician and a bass player? I was in a punk rock band all throughout my high school years with this guy who was um, become a, a pretty uh, successful artist in his own right. This character John Brummett. We had this band called Boondoggle. Oh, wow. And we had it from, we had it all through high school and into college. And at one point, <clears throat> I go into Melonheads one day, and Melonheads like, "Hey man, there's a 197. This is like around 1985." Okay. He's like, "There's a 1978 beat up Telecaster at the pawn shop for 300 bucks. You should go get it." And I'm like, "Really? Okay, I'll go get it." I had never, I did, I had a bass, but I didn't have a guitar. Right. So. Melonhead sends me down to the pawn shop and I buy this guitar with some money I borrowed from my mom. And I still I still play that guitar. It's just like the perfect guitar. <laughs> but my our high school band was called was called Boondoggle. We were pretty terrible, but we were terrible. We tried to be terrible in a lot of different ways. 
Right on, yeah, yeah. In, in a freaky weirdo way. <laughs> in, in some ways, I've told other folks, you know, like, we figured out how to, like, not do stuff for years. Yeah, yeah. It was sort of the, the function of that band. Okay, you know? right on. And so, when... so by the time, but after, you know, five or six years of doing that, mm-hmm. I kind of at least had an education in how you didn't want to do stuff. Uh, self-taught bass player? I'm sorry? Or were you self-taught? Yeah, totally. Absolutely. I mean, you know, and with friends. Yeah. Totally. I had no 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 music. Okay. My family wasn't musical. Okay. You know, I was, you know, I've gravitated to music as just like a a place to escape the yeah. kind of world that I was living in mm-hmm. and there was no nobody to tell me shit. I just picked my kids up, you know, from their music lessons and they laughed because oftentimes because they know like more fundamental stuff than I do even still right you know because they're learning more a more proper approach to music you know but yeah I had no no music no no music background okay so when did you uh so in college when did it did it did it go from the punk band to what was your your if like which was the start of Longfish like when did that well, they started that band long before I was in it. You right. Know? Those How'd guys you started like 1987, and I didn't play with them until 95. Wow. How'd so you they, end up hooking up with those guys? Yeah. Sorry, we're breaking up a little bit is no. why. Oh, no, that's okay. So, so in between the time that you uh, were in that punk band in Lungfish, what was going on in that? What were you doing? Um, in the after... University. I moved as soon as I could. I moved to the East Coast. Moved to Baltimore, where I did know the guys in Longfish, but they and they were doing well and playing with their original bass player, John Creest. And uh, I wanted to play music, and I was involved in trying to play. I played with some Baltimore folks and and some and a couple of bands that weren't really never really went on to do anything. And then I moved to New York City in 1994. Uh-huh. And Rod- and I was pals with the guys in Rodan because I'd from the touring circuit in the South. I'd hung out in Louisville, and knew yeah. Jeff and Tara pretty well. And so when that band broke up, it was around the exact time I moved to New York City. And so we were like, let's do something together. So that was '94, 1994. Okay. New York in '94. That what a what a. Um... What is it about that town and that time period that you found that was most suitable for you as an artist, and what what pushed you as like as an artist to uh, to 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 get things going and, and like become? I mean, did you did, were you were you did you is this what you wanted to do? Did you want to be a musician your whole life? Like when you were a young kid, you were like, this is this is what I'm doing. This is. It's exactly what I would like to do for the rest of my life. I don't think I thought of it at that time. I wasn't thinking about it like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I wasn't thinking about it in those terms. Right. I uh, certainly had read a lot about music and just a lot about literature, and I knew I wanted to go to New York City. I had thought perhaps I knew some people from music that had gone to NYU in the film school. I thought. Maybe I could try and get into film school. It, 
and uh, proved to be too expensive for me, and I was scared of the loans. Right. And just the, the, the music community was what I was involved in, you know? Right. And um, I knew I wanted, I, I just had, by that time, I had been, you know, playing music since I was 12 years old, 13 oh, wow. years old. Right. So I just always done it as kind of like a, just a just a, a meditative practice. It was just something I had years of doing. So by then I wasn't thinking about it in any other term than it was just what I was doing from day to day, you know? Right. It's like I would go to see shows, I would hang out with people I thought was interesting, and the rest of the time I would try and play music and get, you know, pick things up off records or try and think about things in some way that someone else wasn't thinking about them you know yeah yeah. i mean at that t at that time you'll remember you know sonic youth was kind of like at the pinnacle yeah. of the underground and breaking through to the mainstream and they had definitely laid a framework that you could turn an approach to playing guitar inside out you know right so i didn't i didn't necessarily want it to be like them but i was yeah and, that that regard but definitely i was like i can think about this in my own way somehow you know yeah oh, wow. i can approach this and try and try and do it since i don't have a like skilled study background right but they had definitely opened the avenue where you didn't necessarily need that if you could come at this thing with with some original idea of your own mm -hmm. i felt i was definitely just felt like i had my own ideas and i could definitely sort of tack at playing music that way yeah and you know i had having been friends with like the rodan guys they were already doing that and doing it well so i definitely was like i felt a kinship with them and wanted to i definitely was excited to make music with them because awesome. they were they, they were showing that they were thinking about stuff in their own way yeah and doing it well you know what i mean what did you think about the new york scene back then like what? Where were the? What like? There seems to be. I mean, there were some shows I remember touring back in the day, and there was you know some shows would get pretty, get some of the those straight edge crew kids in there, you know, all the crazy. It was nights. so. It was vast, you know. I mean, coming from, like we said, coming from a small town in New York City, there, that stuff is happening. You're talking about, but yeah. like, the guy I moved in on his couch was in this band called Sleepyhead, and they shared a practice space with Yola Tango. Oh wow! So don't. So those guys were around all the time. And oh, I would yeah. see them play at parties or at two boots to like a hundred people. And so th that shit did not have straight edge problems. And it, even cool. though you knew there might be a bigger show somewhere at Irving Plaza or whatever, that was happening. Yeah. But so like you could see that stuff. There were definitely in the neighborhood in the Lower East Side at that time, you know, there were recognizable 70s survivors punk rockers still around so you could be like whoa i know who that dude was in yeah. this you know in some version of a band from the 70s in <laughs> london you could just see those people around so yeah. it, it it was just it, it just seemed like it was a vital place to be yeah. to to if you wanted to make music underground rock and roll music it's, it didn't seem like there was a better place yeah. in, also, in, also... in the united states you know and you also were there, it seemed like, in the last years of it really being the original in New York as well. Yeah, I mean, nobody saw that coming necessarily, you know what yeah. I mean? So even at the time, I remember thinking it was done. Like, this is not, you know, the original CBGBs was still there and totally happening. Yeah. But there was definitely a feel at some 
some shows like you're here 15 years too late kind of thing you know yeah, totally. but if you fast forward 15 years and you happen to only have a taste in music that's spans throughout the 90s or whatever it's like that's all just a weird perspective trick you know what i mean like it was totally lots of great stuff happening in new york city at that yep. time absolutely you know yeah, yeah for sure so uh so, when did you start so what, what band was it that you really just ended up just getting on the road a lot and touring a lot i mean just stuff that instantly always seemed to work out the easiest and play the most was tune of 44 yeah we made that first recording for our first record in 94. Yep. And then when it came out, we did, we did and we played some shows around that recording, East Coast, Chicago, and then didn't see each other for a handful of months while the label put Touch and Go, Quarter Stick, put the record together there. And when it came out in the summer, we did a full States tour. And then for the end of the 90s, you know, that was the cycle. We yeah. would make records and tour. And that, that was, you know, we... That band, though it flirted with plenty of disasters, it just seemed like stuff would work out, you know? Right. Was so, it? yeah, yeah. That, that would be, you know, that would be the one. Okay. That seemed to make things just seem more viable, to make more music. If the goal was to make more music, that band always seemed to end each session on a note like, yeah, we can make some more of this. Right, right. So that was around the uh, that '90s time period was kind of like around the time when like people really started breaking up styles of music, math rock, emo, uh, straight edge hardcore, yeah. hardcore, emo core. You know, you, of course they put mm -hmm. you in what the math rock vein. I guess it would be. Is that what they were? Yeah, yeah. They uh, people called us everything and all that. Yeah, all that stuff. Because yeah. They so, still, and they still do, man. Right. Just, yeah. Did you feel it was math rock? Like what you considered to be math rock as as a member of the band? <laughs> I, I think that's a fair assessment because we did, we tried to do things in wacky signatures right. you know, that would work. And sometimes it would sound pretty in, idiosyncratic and like they're definitely counting some weird thing mm. to do here. I can see, understand the criticism and why we got the, the label of that. Yeah. That, that's not not lost on me it's fair enough man. yeah yeah it's fine and yeah. uh who were who were who were a lot of the uh the tour bands that you ended up touring with throughout the 90s like who were a lot of the mainstays that you guys ended up touring with a lot did you guys do the warp tour and do all that whole scene and any of those other type of things or did you do the yeah, like, british we, we always stayed we always stay kind of underground and off the radar and always did our thing our own thing i mean we, there were times we were offered tours that we turned down, you okay. know, that were, you know, like we were offered a trip with Pavement that at the time we were like, that's a good gig, but yeah. like, we're not going to do it because we're going to, we do going to do our own thing. Yeah. Because I mean, we, we were looking at stuff like we could fill small rooms on our own and make decent money. And we felt like we were playing to our audience. And I think at that time, I remember thinking, we all had been in different bands and yeah. played in opening slots and played shows where you're the middle band or the opening band at a big show. But if it's not your audience, you know, it's not really, yeah. you, there's a sort of, there's a purposelessness there that kind of mm -hmm. happens, you know, like, what am I doing in this room playing to 500 people, but they don't really want to hear me. Right. You know? 
It's funny because uh, uh, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. You. No, I was just kind of curious because I, because like my friends' bands that were from Gainesville that were that were touring around that time always seemed to tour with kind of bands that were kind of yeah along that same vein. You know, like they'd always tour with like the Promise Ring or Jimmy World or you know the emo bands. You know, they were an emo band. They were looked at as an emo band, so it always seemed like they'd go on these tours and play these these shows. But then. I think as they progress, they don't, they try to break it up a little bit more, and they have luckily they're still together, so they're able to still you know choose their they're not stuck into like that shoehorned into a, a, an all same kind of show. I think you would say that's great. Yeah, that's great. I mean, what what I was just mentioning too, you know, is sort of a dated way of thinking about it. That's what the way we were thinking about it then. Yeah, you know, and and the reason we turn stuff down then. And, you know, there are times that we turn certain things down that you're, you question later, you know. Yeah. Maybe that would have been okay to do. Right. You know, but, but um, yeah, we, we toured with a lot of our friends' bands. The cool. drummer in our band, Doug, was in, a, was in a band, Rex, which was a great band, which was nothing like our band on Southern. They made great records of their own, and Curtis, their singer, guitar player, Phil, the bass player, were good friends of ours, and everybody sort of lived in, you know, a community environment. So that we did some tours with them, which were just made sense. Awesome. Um, you know, um, we toured with Ruby Falls in the early days a bunch, which was an all-girl New York City band, yeah. which was great. They were a great band. Wow. And, you know. Just mostly our friends' bands. We wanted to do tours mostly with right. with um, ba- bands we, with people we wanted to hang out with. Right. Any you could drive with long enough on the road, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, exactly. You know? Totally. And people, you know, people you could trust, people you wanted to spend time with. So, is Ju- so um, June of '44. How many albums did you all end up putting out all together, or releases? We did. We did, I guess there's the four legitimate LPs, I okay. think, and then I think there's two EPs, and then miscellaneous stuff. Okay. I, I, the, the two EPs look like 12 inches to yeah. me, I always think of it as like six records, because there's like six objects, but I think there's four records and two EPs. Okay. And that was over, and you said, how long was this, you... you... How was June of 44 together for? 94, and we did our last European tour at that time, 1999, end of 99. Well, so in five years, you were able to put out four records and two EPs. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of work. It was cool. A, a great period, man. Did I mean, you, we went all over the world and was, made a lot of friends. Was it a continual? It was really beautiful. Was it a continual? It seemed like you, in that time period, you would have to be probably continually on the road and continually writing, and then as soon as you get back, you'd have to record and then go right back out and do the same thing again. It was even more complicated than that, in the sense that, like, for most of it, we all lived in different cities and also tried to have other bands. Oh, wow. So not only during that time did we do out this band, everybody made other records with other bands and tried to tour in those too. Holy moly. It, it was kind of a mess. That's for, a lot. 
for for like five years. Pre- pretty much, it was kind of just a mess. <laughs> that could, that could that you know, could, yeah, that could be some wear and tear right there. <laughs> for sure. I mean, had there had there not been such an intensity going on, and uh, I wonder now if maybe our records might be better if we put more time into them, and if we might have survived. A, a little longer right. at that time have we have we not tried to do so much but there's you know it's all speculation well you know yeah I mean the universe gives you what it gives you the time for each thing that it gives you right you know like that's <laughs> time's over now on to the next thing you know it seems how it is yeah man <laughs> I feel you so so after June of 44 what was what'd you go on to from there I played in some other small bands, and then I I went, I made a couple more records with the Lungfish guys, and uh, I did, I spent some time in Italy making a few records oh. with with some dear friends I have there. A really great record producer, David Lynchy, is a fantastic artist in his own right, and an amazing person to work with in the studio. I did a, some recordings with him and some records and tried to stay there a bunch because I, I really like Europe. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, you know, I did, I just, I tried to keep making music and making records to varying degrees of success. Some of them got pretty weird and it seemed there for a period everything I made was of less and less interest to people. <laughs> so right. it got harder and harder to what make you, records for What do you time, think that you know? is? Do you think it's, I mean, as an artist, you know, I mean, you can, I'm sure you've been critical of yourself. What do you, what do you think that might be the cause of, uh, like in that kind in that situation? It's a great question, man. And I don't think I have an answer to right. it, you know, cause I mean, certain folks are able to navigate that to varying degrees, you know? Yeah. Well, it, I just, I, uh, it seems a rarity I'm to me sure. though. And, and, I mean, not like, it doesn't seem like a lot of people do it. You know, and that's maybe one of the biggest, I think, struggles for artists is that they always want to continue to create something, hopefully, that has an effect on the people that you want it to have the effect on, you know, because you're sharing a you're sharing a piece of your soul and a piece of of you, you know, every time you create something. So it's like it's like a piece of you and you're opening yourself up. That's how I see it as a, a musician, you know, like. I always think we're. I think I think of it like that. You know, to me, it's a dialogue. Yeah. It's a conversation. You know, an artistic one. And I think perhaps you know, in my own case, stuff got kind of spiraled further and further out. And in that dialogue, maybe it just was not connecting with anyone. Yeah. You know. So that could possibly be the case. You know, the content and the things I was working on and with maybe was just not of interest to as many people yeah so that could be the case yeah so i mean you're still playing now though of course yep so that's a that's a good thing uh what is it um so you uh, i think when we first originally got in touch you guys june of 44 was on tour okay yeah we just got back from playing shows in europe so how did that come about? When when was the uh, when was the idea of, of you doing that and and getting back together to do these shows? Like in two thousand eighteen, last year, we uh, 
all was out of the country with my wife and kids, and we got a kind of like phantom email from an old friend in uh, in Sicily, uh, inquiring if we would like to come play an anniversary party for the band Dude Zeta from Catania, Sicily, that okay. did records on Touch and Go in the 90s. Yeah, and yeah. Okay. Augustino and Giovanna made other records later with... Um, with uh, Matthew Taylor and Alexis Fleetwood on the Bambolini, they they've continued to work, but their band Zeta never stopped working. And last year they turned from they started in '88 and they turned 30 years old. Wow. So they did a they inv- we had played with them in the '90s and had seen them kind of throughout the existence of our band all over the place and spent a lot of time with them and have have become then and remain dear friends of ours. So they, Augustino sends out the email, why don't you guys come play this party? And so at the first knee-jerk reaction of it, it just didn't seem possible, you know? We we were thinking that's that's not going to happen, but that's nice that you asked. (laughs) And then, you know, he kind of needled like, well, why not, you know? And from my perspective, it seemed like no one, even searching around for a good answer, right. couldn't come up with one, <laughs> you know? And so at a certain point, it's like, that's really challenging, you know? There's every possible way we could embarrass ourselves, and this could be a total disaster. <laughs> and, and right. like, why would we do that? But if that's the only reason why you're gonna not going to do it, that's not a good enough reason, yeah. you know? So it's like, okay, here's an opportunity to play music again in this capacity, and no one could come up with a good reason. So we decided to accept the challenge. And so we went, but we, I had been, you know, I've gone with other bands, Lungfish and other bands a couple of times to Europe to play one show, and that always winds up being kind of a small disaster. Right. So we said to Augustino, like, we'll do it, you know, but we, one show is kind of a tall order, you know, to get all this yeah. ground covered and back together for one show is, is too much pressure. Like, that's definitely set up to kind of be a disaster. So he was like, okay, no problem. He booked a handful more shows. So we played in, in Torino and Rome and Bologna also. And we did the festival in Catania, and it was... A blast, man! And those guys never stop playing music, and their band is killer and crushing. And the X played, and Shellac played, and Tapso Two, a Sicilian band, played. Stash wow. Raiders, Three Second Kiss, which is a fantastic kind of math rock uh, band from Bologna. And it was just amazing, man! And it was this, you know, everybody. I kind of tried to swipe down the word reunion because it just felt vital and alive to me at the time. Right. And I feel like I felt like if it got too couched in this language of reunion, you know, it's just what it is. Yeah. You know, and for me, I'm like, I'm going to kind of like play this music fresh and alive now. I'm not going to have some 90s nostalgia trip necessarily. Right and as, as we dug into our catalog, we were like, this music can still be played sincerely at the at the age we're at now. Almost and, definitely. And that, that, <laughs> and that became like really refreshing. So as we dug into it a little bit, it seemed possible. And so then it kind of became alive again, you know? Yeah. So, so would there be a silly question to even ask if maybe there would ever be another album 
put out by you guys? I mean, would that be something well, I, unheard of? I might not be able to answer that last year, but I mean, we just came off this trip and like we, we had a rehearsal space in Bologna and we were playing new shit in the space easily. And I'll, as we started to be like going through the catalog, catalog last year and this year, we would come across sections of the arrangements where like, this is stupid. Why do we do this? Doesn't make any sense. Right. And so we were like, what would we do now? And so we were like, just drew out dumb stuff and rearranged a lot of our songs. Oh, wow. You know, we were like, so a lot of the sets are like, you know, reinterpretations, but not to try and be witty. We just no, kind of no. did it to like solve problems. You know, it's like, this is clearly kind problem. of... A dumb part, yeah. you know, let's not play the dumb part. Yes, yeah, And so as, <laughs> as we started doing all that rearranging, it was like, oh, this is just writing. The material is just already there. So we started working on stuff that could potentially be a new record, you know. Oh, wow. You know, it's a... It, so the, there, could, there could be a new record. I hope so. I, At this point, know, I, I would like that very much. Well, you know what? I, it just got put out in the universe. And it could just it was set on a podcast, so that means that means it has to happen. I mean, that's that's, that's the rule. Okay, if you say so. I, well, I mean, I told I told it's funny because I interviewed Kim Coletta from Jawbox like a year and a half ago, and uh, you know I was like, you guys need to get back together, and she was like, well, you know, whatever. And I was like, I bet you you guys will end up playing the fest in a couple years. Well, they got back together, they're recording new stuff, and they're playing the fest this year. I had a feeling. My whole my whole feed this morning on, on my social media stuff is all job ops, you know, from people I know at the show last night. Oh, yeah. Show. I missed it. I was yeah. there last week in D.C., uh, and I totally missed him. It stinks. It stinks. But I actually got to interview uh, Mike M. from Marginal Man, which was a really good oh, interview. Cool. Yeah, it was a really good uh it was very interesting. It really brought me back to being very young and listening to punk rock music. So, But... uh yeah, I, I just have a feeling I, I've had because the, the and another reason why I started this podcast, and I, I didn't say this prior, but it's like because I, I you know I work in the service industry, so I'm always around. I'm 47, so I'm always around 20, 21 year old kids, and each you know the dishwashers, everyone's got headphones on working in the back, so you know I'm listening to these you know like or they'll play it on their little radios, and I'm like, who is this band? They'll tell me it's a band. I was like. That sounds like a band from 1995, you know? And so I try to tell them about all the bands from the 90s that sound like what these bands sound like now. And so I'm trying to cross that, 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 that generational gap between, like, our generation and the kids that are listening to stuff that's the cyclical music of what was the original, you know? So uh, I totally know. I totally follow you. And that's good work, man. I was just telling someone the other day, I tried to go see, I have to go to a coffee shop and the kids I know are in a band. You know, I'm an old guy getting a coffee and I'm asking them about the next time they're playing because I heard their band was good or whatever. Yeah. The guys are looking at me like, why would you come see this place? <laughs> exactly. You know? Like, they, I'm just like, you, you guys are cool, you're working on good music, that's fine, I'm not... But it's like you should recognize your own people. You got, if you're lucky, you're gonna get old too. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you would still like your music. Exactly. That's it too. Like that's the thing, man. I've never stopped. Then I mean, I mean, I was in my mid twenties when this stuff was happening. And you bands like you guys were on tour, and I got to roadie for a band and see all these amazing bands that I wish to this day 
I would have stayed in closer contact with, you know, but, you know, I was a wild man back then, so I was a roadie and just <laughs> party and did my thing, but it was like, this is what this is about. It's about sharing the experiences of the 90s and what bands like June of 44 and all these other bands that I talked to, all the stuff that, where you come from, how it differs from where the kids are coming from today, the way that you all diy the country and, 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 and how different it is compared to today and how easier it is for people to do, to do the, to get the music out there in comparison to how everything that we, even in the nineties had to go through, you know, like it wasn't easy to get music out the way you can now. So it's like, they, they don't understand that concept of like the, the work comparison to me, you know, I'm, I'm not saying bands nowadays don't work hard, I'm just saying there's a different type of working hard that goes with music in comparison to that that time period. Yeah, the landscape's definitely changed for sure. You know, and what what bands are doing now versus what they did then. But I don't I don't know what else to say about that yeah. other than it's it's cool if you know. I mean, it's like at the time in the 90s we were playing music we were trying to listen to a lot of vital music that was being made at the same time but i also never stopped digging into like 60s psychedelia or like you know we got very turned on to like german kind of music in the 90s that had been made in the 70s you know which Mm -hmm. as it comes full circle i only found out years later that like you know that was the same stuff that was informing a lot of English punk rock at the you know that stuff was what it was made in the mid 70s in Germany was informing the late 70s in England you right. know which th- which then informed the early 80s here yeah which then you got people in the early mid 90s here then trying to make music that sounded like the same source material in the mid 70s in Germany That's so right. I mean that yeah, yeah. really just that illustrates this sort of cycle you're oh, talking totally. about you know yeah. And if you know how to connect all those dots, yeah, that's like a really interesting way that concepts move around the planet, you know, yeah. with people and through people, through music, yep. through culture, you know, not yeah. through commercialism, you know, right. it's just more the idea moves faster than the commercial, you know. Yeah, which I think is kind of neat. I think a lot of artists are the, uh, nowadays. Uh, artists are able to be more DIY and take uh, more control of their own, like what they're doing and how they make money now, which is kind of neat about the technology nowadays compared to you having to go to a club and maybe fight the club guy to pay you, you know? Now you can set up a camera at a show and have people donate money while you're live streaming at at a club. You know what I mean? Like... There's so many ways. That's cool, but there's also everywhere on the spectrum is happening, you know? Yeah. I, think, I mean, I'm friends with a lot of people who are musicians in Los Angeles, and it's very, a lot of those guys, it's still like a pay-to-play environment, you know? Totally. It's like there's, so it's, it's like, wait a minute, you know? You got to pay to get in these good places and try and get seen. It's just something, sometimes everything is egalitarian and worked out, and other times it's because of that, everything's turned on its ear a bit. Yeah, yeah. If you will. So it's it's like anything. It's good and bad. There's good stuff happening and bad stuff it's happening. Bad. <laughs> like a lot of the 80s and 90s underground music was beautiful. Labels that we were on, Touch and Go, and other stuff, you know, what John Loder had done and the Crafts guys in the UK 
all kinds of like imprints in the U.S., but it, a lot of that stuff got bigger-ish and then seemed that it would be great, and then Napster and the internet and file sharing and Spotify stuff just comes in and sort of like and killed a lot of that stuff that had become vital, you know? Yep. So it's, it's I, don't, I don't know, stuff gets cool and stuff gets taken out. <laughs> yeah. it's, con- it's like a whack-a-mole, man. Yes, it is. Yes, it is for sure. Um so anything you're working on besides June of 44 right now or anything you got going on that you would like to share with the listeners or anything you would like to say to the listeners about any of the bands you were in or anything you, or message or something you would like to uh, thank you for kids? asking I'm hoping that we can make another June of 44 record I, I made a record recently that's only online band cap stuff with some friends of mine in New York called Cool Haro okay. K-E-W W L Haro H A R O, which is like kind of freak folk hip hop sample mashup record, which is really fun to make. Okay. And we're trying to make more of those records. Like Urban and, Dance um, Squad. You know, I'm still just <laughs> trying to make music, man. Any yeah. any that's awesome. Any way possible. I make electronic music now, so I know I know what you mean. I do EDM music. I'm on like this music community where you make electronic music and stuff. So I do the same thing. I just have to do it by myself now. <laughs> you know, so I'd like to hear your music. You got to send it to me. I will. I'll definitely share some. It's it's more like my fr- all my friends say it sounds like '80s. Um, it should be in a sci-fi movie or uh, if New Order was writing music for arcade games. <laughs> that sounds cool. Yeah, I enjoy it. I make actually have some, I make some little videos and I put my music to it and I put those on Instagram and stuff. So that's kind of like my little art thing that I do now. So along with the podcast. So, But Sean, um, I don't want to take up any more of your time. I know you're, uh, you're busy. You got some uh, Bambinos and... Uh, <laughs> You got to do that stuff. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I appreciate you so much. Uh, thanks for sharing your story with us. Again, this was the idea of the podcast is to have people really understand who the artist is, where they come from, um, why they start doing what they're doing, and, and where they end up where they are You know, even now. And you're still doing art. And that's one of the biggest things that always comes out in the end is that you start out an artist, and in some ways, you and it, well, not in some ways, it just never leaves you. You're always an artist, and you always find out ways to do art, even if, even if there's walls that are put up to stop you from doing it other ways. So I just want to thank you for continue, continually doing your work and uh, looking forward to that June of 44 album. And uh, I'm sure everyone else would Super nice, too. Jay. It's a um, pleasure to talk to you, man. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, you as well. I'll keep up with you online. I'll send you some of that music. Um, and again, uh, this won't be the only time I'll hit you. I'll bother you again. Uh, this is a okay, powwow. Cool. This is me, you know, trying to build a, uh, a bigger music community, uh, amongst all of us. Uh, I'd like to call us grave jumpers. <laughs> Lucky enough to still be here. So uh, time travel. So, I, I prefer time travel. Yeah. Time traveler. Just like, yes. Like Dr. Who for sure. Uh, <laughs> right on. So, uh, again, I appreciate your time and your artistry. And everyone out there listening, you all take care. Have a wonderful week. Pay it forward. Uh, Everybody going through shit in China right now, don't stop fighting the fight. Stand up till you know what's right. Uh, Truth to power. 
everyone in South America, Venezuela, I know you're all having issues. Truth to power down there as well. Uh, everybody pay attention to what's going on and make sure you vote for the kids. Everyone out there, take care. Sean, have a great day. Have a beautiful day. Peace and love. Yeah, man. Peace. Take care. Thank you. Everyone, have a great night. Peace.